you can't hold yourself responsible for anybody else's life, even if it's your partner. At the end of the day, everybody makes choices and no choice exists in a vacuum. This choice will lead to this choice will lead to this choice. And you can't take responsibility for all of this over here. All you can do is take responsibility for your choices and your actions, figure out why those occurred and how you want to recover from them. Katie, welcome to the Other Woman and the Wife podcast. I met you, I think you were one of the first people that I had come across in the comment section that had a lot of intelligent and empathetic commentary, even though you had experienced kind of a different role in okay. the experience of infidelity. So if you don't mind getting us started with the question, can you elaborate a little bit on your experience with infidelity? Yeah, so it's multiple experiences at this point. I was married before we were married for 14 years. We were together for 20. We'd known each other since we were four. And shortly after our wedding, I found out about his first affair and then several more over the course of a couple years. And we worked through it as much as we could. So that's a whole other subject. But it, our marriage didn't survive for a number of reasons. <laughs> So that was my experience with that. And then when I did open myself up again to being in a relationship more recently, it it happened again. Only this time I found out because the woman was much, much younger and she made a TikTok about it. And it crossed my For You page as well as his work. And so it wasn't something that could be hidden. And we tried to work through it because I'd had this experience before I knew what I needed to work past it. And they weren't things he was able to do at that time. So we wound up separating. We're still actually very good friends. He's going through the work he needs to do on himself right now. And it's really different watching my ex-husband who wanted to ignore anything that ever happened and watching my ex-partner who's so fully invested in finding the whys and what caused him to blow up his life so to speak but still being able to maintain that friendship and support him through it so it's been different on both sides of that how long ago was this other incident oh yeah that happened in december oh my god well i mean like it the incidents occurred prior but it i we found i found out about it in december and we officially ended things like three months ago all right. Oh, yeah, it's been fairly new, but it's, oh that's one of the reasons I liked your content is because having dealt with it beforehand, it was also a nice touchstone, something to help guide me through and make me a little more honest with my emotions and why I was feeling them as I progressed through again, much more recently. Can you tell me a little bit about what it feels and looks like for you to be honest with your emotions? So some of it is really understanding why I'm reacting the way I'm reacting. So when I start questioning, why did this happen? Is it be so she's so much younger? Is it because I'm getting old? Is it because I'm not enough? Is it because of this? Is it because of that? And being able to stop and recognize that this has very little to do with me. And even if I ask those questions, and I did because everybody does, what did I do wrong? Even if your partner knows the answer, they're not going to be able to answer honestly because they are already dealing with the pain of hurting you and they're not going to want to compound that. But it was 
it was being able to get past that to recognize that it actually had very little to do with her. She didn't know I existed. There was, there was no overlap between the two of us in any way. And it was everything to do with my partner, the struggles that in the trauma that he had dealt with his family because his, he grew up in a home with rampant infidelity and lies. And that in turn influenced how he reacted and our communication after and his fears and, but being able to see these things and recognize them for what they were, it led me to feel far more empathetic than maybe I had with my ex-husband, but empathetic with the situation in general. And it was freeing. Oh my gosh. It's so freeing to release myself from that. Like, and there, I'm, I'm sure there are some places where I have responsibility where it wasn't the partner I should have been, but it, it releases a lot of like anger and mm-hmm. just, you let it go. You're like, yeah, it happens. Things happen. We're just not right for each other at this time. We're just not right for each other at this time. That is such a good statement for you to say as we deep dive into this conversation, because one of the things that you've shared with me is that you had been the lead counsel, I'll say, in your own community when Mm -hmm. marriages of people you're friends with. Can you tell me a little bit about that? Yeah, I come from a military background. I know Stan's ex-military. Like we talked about that. I was a soldier and then I was an army wife. And infidelity in that community is very, oh, it's so strange how it's dealt. It's rampant, but even how it's dealt with. I shared this with Kevin when we talked about it. So if the soldier steps out it's almost forgivable right Uh oh well they're so far away for so long and it's such a high stress and you're expected as the spouse to get over it you're expected to let it go and just move on but if the spouse at home is the one who has the affair it's tantamount to treason it's especially when it was like in the height of the iraq and afghanistan wars and like they sing cadence songs about Jody, about the guy back home sleeping with your wife. That's how ingrained it is into the culture. And Stan so... sings that one. Stan sings that one. <laughs> I prefer a yellow bird with a yellow bill, but that's dark in its own way. But yeah. <laughs> he should sing that. That could be your new theme song. It's awesome. Oh, don't even give him <laughs> any ideas. I invited him onto the podcast and I'm like, look, I'm trying to protect you. I don't need your protection. No, but it's a really interesting thing. And so when we went through it, there was not a lot of community at the time. There was like a message board way back in the day, like survivinginfidelity.com. And that was where I got the most support at that point in time because my ex-husband, he didn't want anybody to know. One, it could impact his career. And we got Mm -hmm. to a point where we could, but at the time it was like, it was something that could impact his career. It was something he was deeply not guilty about, ashamed of, because those are two very different things. Yes, they are. He was very deeply ashamed of his actions. And so he just wanted to make them go away. And so I felt the only support I had was with this kind of online community. And it was eye-opening for me to see marriages that were in work after like not just I mean on both parts right because I 
the culture at that time. And I think in, in a lot of cases now is especially as a woman, if your spouse cheats on you and you stay, you're weak. You're weak. What's wrong with you? Why would you let a man walk all over you? You're supposed to be a strong, independent woman who's not afraid to raise your child all by yourself in the middle of nowhere on two peanuts a day. Like, Can how you- dare you try and fight for your marriage? And through that, we kept running into situations where other spouses, other couples that we knew, they were going through it. And that was something where after a long talk, my ex-husband was willing to open up a little bit more about Mm -hmm. our experiences to maybe help some of our friends who were going through it and felt so alone to see that they weren't alone at all. And like we have a friend where it was the soldier who was the betrayed spouse and he would show up at my house at one o'clock in the morning, just dealing with the trauma of everything and needing someone to talk to. And we'd sit downstairs at my coffee at my dining table and have coffee and just talk about it for hours. And it was so helpful for both of us at that time to be like, you know what? I feel that way too. Like I have anxiety about this too. Like these are the reactions I have too. And it makes you feel so normal. And at the same time, like his wife was able to talk to my ex and to be able to process how they were feeling about things. The shame is at the end of the day, my ex-husband and I couldn't communicate with each other. We could communicate with others, but we could never really quite deal with each other in the honesty in the same way. And a lot of that really did dig down into the shame. And that's what led into the demise of our marriage. But it also made him like, he's remarried now and he's such a wonderful partner because of all of these things that he learned in our marriage. And I'm so happy for him with that. And I I think it's the same way. I feel like some of the couples that we knew that we helped with in that way, they've gone on to have very long, successful, happy marriages. And it it started the same way that you did with sharing your experience, with saying you are not alone. Like this yeah. is an experience. It's a human experience. And it's you okay. Meet people where they are. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. You had said something that actually resonates with a coaching call that I had recently with a military wife who stepped outside of her marriage and she is just covered in mire over her actions and she is so fearful that what she has done will lead to her husband's ultimate demise because of decisions that she has made and I just what would you say to her in that moment? You can't hold yourself responsible for anybody else's life, even if it's your partner. At the end of the day, everybody makes choices and no choice exists in a vacuum. That's the other thing. Like this choice will lead to this choice will lead to this choice. And you can't take responsibility for all of this over here. All you can do is take responsibility for your choices and your actions, figure out why those occurred and how you want to recover from them. Mm-hmm. So that's something that I had explained to, you know, my my partner that we just ended. Is the choices that you make and the actions that you are currently that that led to this are not what define you as a person. Mm-hmm. It's how you recover. It's where you go from here. And every day you get to wake up with this choice to decide where yeah. you want to go. And letting go of that is very freeing. So it may not be something that works out. It may not be something that they recover from, but it they're still human. And what seems devastating today will be peanuts tomorrow. Yeah, totally. Those those late night conversations that you had with the male betrayed party. Can you Mm -hmm. tell me a little bit about the topics that you guys would touch on? 
Oh, he had a lot of anger. He had a lot of anger because where they were when it occurred, where they had deployed to, he was, and this is where it touches on the like tantamount to treason thing. He's so mired in this idea that he's in a foreign country and he's fighting and he could have died. And there, there were situations that did happen like that, that were just devastating within that unit, that group of friends. Like all of these things that could have happened. And he's just got this image of her back at home, just living it up, parting it up. And he had so much anger and resentment. But at no point in time does he know what it's like from the other side, right? He's in- not taking into account one. We're all very young at that stage. You go into the army fresh out of high school, 22, 23 years old, max. She's got small children. She's been home by herself. Millions of miles from family. Well, that's an exaggeration, but across the country from her family, she's got very little support. She has the spouse that she loves, but he's in another country. They're getting to talk on a Skype call like every three weeks. And at the same time, it's an underlying current that he's probably out there having an affair too. And so it's really easy to fall into this loneliness and this grief. And that's exactly what had happened she it's not that she was like he was intentionally neglecting her needs it was the situation but it still happened in the same way that like my ex-husband being overseas I didn't intentionally neglect his needs I was just not in a place where I could meet them and that's what happened it was interesting to watch him learn to untangle some of his post-traumatic stress from being in combat from the post-traumatic stress of the affair and process and maybe see things a little bit from her side. That's one of the cases where I thought it was actually probably helpful that it wasn't soldier to soldier and spouse to spouse kind of deal. You have somebody who's on the other side of it who gets it, right? Oh, yeah, because you understood what it was like to be the wife who was apart from the person who was supposed to be meeting your wants and your needs, and you understood what it was like to be in that state of isolation. Yep, absolutely. And it's an extremely isolating scenario. There's, I am very grateful that they were able to open up and start talking to each other and seeing the other person's point of view. Because like I said, they've been married, oh gosh, about 20 years now. It's been about 20 years. Do you think any two people can actually have the ability to have the type of honest conversations that are required to keep infidelity at bay? No, I don't. Because not everybody is capable of being honest with themselves. And if you can't be honest with yourself, only yourself, you can't be honest with anybody else. Yes. Yes. And what do you think? What do you think makes it difficult for people to be honest with themselves? Oh, because you have to admit that sometimes you're toxic, too. It's so hard. It's so hard. I fully recognize that. I understand. Like, I am a very emotionally mature person. I have raised my children to be very emotionally mature. But I have knee-jerk traumatic responses left over from my childhood that it's a really terrible comparison. But you know how they say, like, your first thought, if somebody says something racist and, and you have your initial thought, but then you have your enlightened thought. And that's how it is. Like, when something happens, you have your first thought. That's how you're, you're raised. That's how like your initial trauma-driven reaction reaction. versus your response. And then you have a moment to think and gather yourself. And so there are times where I don't want to be honest about how I feel about things because it hurts. 
It hurts to be honest with yourself. But if you don't, then you're never going to be able to get anywhere or have any kind of fulfilling life or be vulnerable and honest with somebody else either. And it's mm-hmm. scary, but vulnerability and, and compassion come from a place of fear and then moving past that fear. But no, I don't think if somebody's capable of admitting where they have flaws, where they have faults and removing themselves from this victim mindset, they'll never be able to have the conversations. And that I think Brene Brown talks a lot about shame and guilt. And I think a lot of people come into those from a place of shame where they're not able to talk about the things that hurt them most or that maybe they're most ashamed of or they don't want anybody to know. If you see this thing about me, you're going to like me less Mm. or you're not going to think I'm worth fighting for. And so I'm just not going to address that. But that's supposed to be part of the conversation, too. Yeah. And it's hard. I actually think that's how you eliminate shame. Yes. And a lot of people don't understand that. They're like, but if I claim it, then it means it's real. And I'm like, that is true. Especially, I think, for other women, it's their affair partners. Like, you, you're supposed to be the devil. You're supposed to be this one-dimensional, mustache-twirling villain who's just out to ruin somebody's marriage. But nobody's being honest in that situation. The affair partner is not being honest about what led them to be there or how they actually feel about it because they feel they're supposed to be a terrible person and they should never be happy. And And the betrayed spouse is lying to themselves about how they got into that in the first place. You probably have some culpability, but it's so easy to fall into this attitude of I'm the victim. This was done to me. It's not something that anybody did to you. It's something that happened. Yes. such a big difference. Yes. There was no intent to do anything Mm -hmm. to the betrayed party. There was only intent to meet wants and needs within myself. Therefore, I went out and I did it in this way so that you wouldn't be hurt by it. Oh, absolutely. And I guarantee you, neither my ex-husband nor my ex-partner were thinking about me when they made them. They didn't wake up one one day and say, you know what, I'm going to do to Katie. I'm going to do this to Katie. No, that's not what they were thinking. I think like, the choice to be in an affair is the first time I realized that I had the ability to compartmentalize. I could check out. I knew how to disassociate from my life. All of those things, I had no idea that those were things that I was capable of until I did them. And then I was like, oh, my God, this is where we can get into some tricky waters if we just live in this pretend reality where other people don't exist, then what am I doing? Am I just designing realities that make me feel comfortable? No, I want to be here. I want to be here now. And I want to know what it feels like to be alive, even when it's painful. Well, even on the other side of that's still your choice. Either, either way, when you're confronted with that, you get to decide is do I, and, and that's the other thing is I see so many people talk about, well, I'm a good person. I wouldn't do this, but you're not doing that for somebody else. Mm-hmm. If you say that if you meet somebody and you have this connection that you want to explore and you choose not to do it, it's not because you're such a, an amazing Mother Teresa person. It's because you yourself do not feel prepared to contend with the emotions that would bring. It's still a selfish choice that you're making, whether it's oh. a good selfish or a bad selfish. It's still about how you're going to feel at the end of the day. Oh, yes. I remember one time, and maybe you had commented on it, but I was like, even the act of being selfless is selfish. Oh, it is. And, yes. and everybody was like, oh, my God, no. And I was like, yes, it is, because you're serving whatever priorities you have inside of your own head. And if you have somebody else as the priority, 
are you really there? Like, how does this serve me? I remember that because the guy was talking about how his marriage was so perfect because he only ever thought of his wife and his wife only ever thought of them, him. And that's great. What happens when one of you doesn't feel like your needs are quite being met because then one of you is going to be left. I always take it to the extreme. I feel like I've had so much death in my life. So grief is I just partner with grief all the time. And I'm like, here we go. Cheerio. But (laughs) I was like, what is so you think of her always she thinks of you always what happens if one of you dies then the other person doesn't exist your needs aren't going to be met because they they don't exist anymore even beyond that i don't want to be in a relationship with a person who is incapable of of addressing their own needs i don't want that kind of responsibility I want you to be happy on your own. I want you to be happy and I want to accent your happiness and and support you through that. Mm-hmm. But I do not want the responsibility for that. Like, yeah, it's hard enough taking care of me. I used to tell my ex-husband all the time and it was something he, he hated when I said it. I don't need you. I want you. And I do not mm-hmm. want to be in a relationship with somebody who needs me. I want oh, to be yes. wanted. And that that whole culture is so hard because it forms your like so like your coaching call, that's probably her a big portion of your identity when you are removed from your home and your career field and you spend your whole life chasing this person around for their career, your identity forms around them. <laughs> and so the prospect of losing that identity, even if it's not something you actually want, it's terrifying. Absolutely terrifying. And after that, I could never do that again. And I just want to say something about that. Losing a a portion of your identity isn't always a bad thing. Sometimes me and Stan, whenever we were in the affair, we were at a very popular workplace and I loved my job. My entire existence was my job. And I found a lot of validation in that through Stan. And then when it was time for the entire world to crumble around me. I was like, oh, my God, I can't be here anymore. I'm worthless. I won't have this employer that means so much to me. And I was like, oh, shit, it's not my employer who gives me value. It's my skill set and experience. And I actually add value to the company that I work at. Yeah. And it was a whole turnaround for me because then I was like, oh, shit, look at my cool ass resume. And like walked in, got new jobs, you know, and had my pick of the lot. It really was my (laughs) mindset in where my value lies. Does it? Does my identity really lie in this workplace? Or is it the fact that I receive a lot of gain and value by attributing myself to this company in this way? And it really, it changed everything. One of the things mm-hmm. that you had touched on that I want to go back to, which I do not want this to turn into the blame game. I don't think that the blame oh. game serves any purpose. But you touched on betrayed spouse's culpability in the state of the relationship that encounters infidelity. Can you comment a little bit more on that? Yeah. So marriages don't become issues in a vacuum. They really don't. Even on either side. My best friend is going through a divorce. He's a man. And I'm watching him go through this divorce. And I am watching how he is treated 
And it's so eye-opening for me, but I think it's a great example because as women, we all know a woman who was not seen by her spouse, respected by her spouse, voiced their needs repeatedly and had them ignored by the spouse. And when it's a woman, it's absolutely, you know what? You deserve better. You go do better, right? But it's a man. And so he spent two decades begging to be seen. This is what I need. This is how I feel. And being told, uh, especially as a man in the Midwest, suck it up. You're not allowed to feel. You need to lower your standards. He called me one time crying after a therapy session because the couple's counselor. And I actually brought brought this up with my therapist because I was so flabbergasted. The couple's counselor told him that maybe he just needed to lower his standards and accept what she was willing to give. She would never say that to a woman. And that's it exactly. That's it exactly. That created, and I'm a mother of sons. I have daughters too, but I am a mother of sons. And and I think about some, like what my kids are going through. My son is in Korea right now and he's having a, the darndest time because he's, he's my kid. He's going to tell you how he feels. He's going to figure out why he feels that way. He's very emotionally open and mature. Mm-hmm. And he keeps getting told, can we not talk about that? I don't care how you feel. Like that's really weird. And it's shutting him down. But I think a lot of times we have a tendency to do that to our partners or we get so lost in the day-to-day, the picking up the kids, who did the dishes, who's going to do the laundry. We have dinner with my parents that you stop sometimes listening and nobody deserves to live a life where they're not heard. If your spouse is looking at you, whether a man or a woman and saying, I need time with you. FaceTime. I need physical touch. The response should not be, listen, I've been with people all day. I don't want to be touched. I don't want to touch them. Touch them. If they got into a terrible car accident, like you said with that, right? If they got into a terrible car accident tomorrow, are you going to regret having not cuddled them on the couch for two minutes? Right? Right. What's it going to cost me? Exactly. What's it going to cost me? And when you get into that and then your spouse goes outside of the marriage to meet their needs, instead of recognizing what could I have done? What did you tell me what you needed and I ignored you? Did we try this? Did we try this? Instead of having those conversations, it's an immediately, how could you do this to me? How could you not be there for me? You're supposed to love me. You're supposed to do this. You're supposed to do that. And then the vitriol spews outward and very rarely at the spouse it's always at the affair partner even though that person has zero culpability in your marriage it's and i know it's because one you're anger angry because of the comparison because you want to know what does this person have that i don't and so then you get all stalkerish but also because it's hard to be honest with your anger with a partner that you're trying to repair things with and if mm-hmm. you come at them with the anger they're not going to want to come have those conversations with you and it's just this big stupid mess mm-hmm. and sometimes it's it's not anybody's fault it's really not sometimes people just make mistakes or they felt lonely in the moment needed validation and didn't know mm-hmm. how to ask for it and that happens but if you want to affair proof your marriage you need to pay attention to your partner and never stop listening never mm-hmm. stop listening And I think that's where things get really vulnerable. Like when you met Stan, I'm sure you guys had all kinds of conversations about everything, right? What's your favorite color? What's your favorite food? 
What cartoon did you like? What uh, is your favorite dinosaur? We didn't do the favorite conversation. We did the, what has your experience in life been this far? And we had really gotten into the depths of, I think, each other's experience. And we were so drawn to what, how the other person had handled their experience in life. Stan finally said this out loud the other day, just marveled. He goes, I fell in love with you because of your emotional intelligence. And I was like, well, I already but it's knew an that. Honest and genuine curiosity about each other. And I yeah. think that goes away for some people after a while. And then you stop feeling like you matter. You are not the same person you were 10 years ago. I'm not the same person I was 10 years ago. And I hope that when I have a long-term relationship again, that we never stop seeing that curiosity. Some of the best couples I knew did that. If you are the other woman in your relationship and you love this podcast, you would love the Other Women Community. The Other Women Community is a membership program designed to help other women just like you reclaim their relationship with themselves and heal from their affair. We provide a safe and supportive environment for you to open up and talk about your experiences. We give you the tools and resources you need to grow into an authentic, empowered individual. If you're ready to take the next step in your healing journey, head on over to theotherwomanandthewife.com backslash community to learn more about the membership and all it has to offer. All right, let's jump back into the episode. What do you hope for your children as far as their experience and relationships go? You know, you and I had touched earlier, Mm -hmm. probably at the beginning of the episode, that there's a lot of unresolved, unmet trauma and grief inside of individuals. And they they get to a point where they make these adult decisions, but yet they don't have the skills or the tools to deal with some of this. I think I want my children to be on it. Like the nicest thing my kids have ever told me was that they had no trauma. So there was a point after the divorce where my middle daughter, I have five children. So my middle daughter is the most emotional. Why couldn't you guys just stay married and pretended for my sake? But as she got older and she saw how different we are when we're not together, how much better we are, how better friends we are, it was very clear for her. And I would hope that they would take those kind of lessons about self-honesty and be honest with their partners. So three of my children are grown, my daughter and her boyfriend. And it's so funny, my 16-year-old mom, they are so gross. They'll have a fight, but then they immediately sit down and talk about why they had a fight and then they cry and then they hug and then they talk about what they need to do to prevent it from happening. And it's weird. And I'm like, that's normal. Whereas my ex-partner... I wouldn't Mm -hmm. say, I wouldn't even say it's normal or common. It's very healthy. And I mean, that I would be patting myself on the back if I were you. It's good. And it does mean in some cases, like I said, my, my oldest son, he's very lonely. He wants a relationship, but he wants a healthy relationship. And sometimes he's like, I wish I could just like drop my standards. And I'm like, no, you don't. Trust me, you don't. But it was like, so we've talked about that a little bit before in, in the comments on your staff where people are like, well, but the kids listen, my ex is a cautionary tale about why you don't do that. So my ex-partner, and he knows I'm, I'm coming on here and talking about all this, so he's fine. So he was a late in life kid and his parents were miserable. They hated each other. But she was like, I'll take the kids. You'll never see them again. She is a, a narcissist and it's, that's a diagnosis. So it's not even like a buzzword. Um, she says, I'll take the kids. You'll never see them again. And so they stayed together for the kids. But she made dad's life miserable. And dad, 
met his needs with a parade of other women. And so this is what he grew up with as normal. Like, it's perfectly normal to scream at your partner because they're married to you. So that's the person you're safe to yell at and let your anger out on because they'll stay. Like, um, eventually, his mom found out and there was a big blowout. And she moved out. She moved in with him and injected that trauma on her son for a number of years and poisoned his last marriage. And But he watched that blow up. He didn't speak to his dad for 10 years. His dad had a heart attack. He almost died. He still didn't speak to his dad because of all the stuff his mom had put in his head. So when we started dating, like the first time he raised his voice, I was like, no, the hell you don't. We can have an honest conversation, but if you're going to yell, you can leave. We're done. And it just brought him up short. And so we had to start having a lot of conversations about open communication, about just tell me how you're feeling. Are you frustrated about this? Do you feel insecure about this? Then just convey that to me because I'm not going to get it because you're screaming at me about cereal. I don't care. And mm-hmm. if you back me in a corner, I'm probably going to say much worse. I'll feel terrible about it, but I will. That's my <laughs> self-honesty. I know where I'm toxic. But we've talked about that later because when everything happened, I had caught wind that something was happening because he's military too. So it was a mm-hmm. different thing. And he was leaving for a year to go to South America. And I asked him point blank, who is this person that's texting you? And he said, he made up a story, but I believed him because this is what he told me. And you get this little niggling fear and you just, well, I have the choice to be paranoid about it or just believe and then we'll go. Well, then she started making TikToks because like I said, she's very young and there was an investigation. And so when the investigation happened and he knew I was going to find out, he still stalled for time. He still lied about it. And I had to ask him, hey, I live in this community. I know all of these people. I am also aware of this situation. Now I'm giving you an opportunity to explain your side of it. And so we had that conversation and it was very much a, if you want to make this work, I will need honesty. And I'm going to tell you, I'm going to be upset sometimes. I'm going to get angry. I'm going to have anxiety. I'm going to have questions that I'm not thinking of right now. But what I need more than anything is all of the truth upfront. No questions asked. And he said, absolutely. And then avoided me like the plague for like three months. Uh, That avoidant attachment. And that's exactly what happened because when his mom found out, she lost her mind and it blew up. And he was so scared of this happening again. And he had so much shame because he had done this thing that he had hated his dad for. And his dad was not in a position to give him any kind of counseling on it. So by the time that we had reached a point where he had recognized, hey, I need to deal with this, I went ahead and I'm talking to a therapist and I'm putting things together. And then unfortunately, it was my turn to say, I'm so sorry. Uh, We had the opportunity to fix this. I told you what I would require to rebuild that trust. And I have fully detached at this point. And I want the best for you. And I'm happy to be your friend. I cannot be in a relationship with you Mm -hmm. anymore. And it was devastating for him. It was absolutely devastating for him because like for him to have this epiphany, oh my God, everything's going to be okay. It's not. It will be okay, just not in the way that you had maybe thought it would be. And I don't ever want that for my children, right? Mm -hmm. I never want my actions to impact them and cause them to make decisions or be dishonest with themselves in a way that will harm them. Like it's, It's just continued and ongoing fallout. So my ex-husband and I are honest 
Like my kids know what happened. They're Mm -hmm. aware Mm -hmm. because at the same time, at the same time, it'll give them freedom to forgive themselves. And that's a huge thing, I think, for kids to see their parents make mistakes and work past it and be able to be friends. It's also important, I think, for all of them to understand you could think your partner is the greatest thing on the planet and the best person in the world and still have to be very protective about your sexual health. That's a whole other thing. But this, I just want my children to be honest when they make mistakes. I want them to be honest when they succeed in life. I want them to be honest with themselves and know that it's okay to screw up. It's okay to recover. Mm-hmm. This is America. We love a comeback story, right? It's yeah. fine. Yes, we do. So, I just don't think that hiding things from your children is ever the best option. Yeah, there is a way to tailor it. I think that you have done a stellar job at reminding your children that you're a safe place to come to you. I would really hope so. Good Lord. I mean, it sounds like it, if they're over here saying that they don't have any trauma. I'm like, oh, I wonder if my <laughs> kids will say that. Which is fine. I just wish they would experience a little more trauma and be a little less open in our group chat. They're they have no qualms about sharing things with me. I'm like, I don't want to know that. Oh, this is great. I definitely spent. You want to know what I did during the pandemic on accident in the group chat? (laughs) So you know how like bidets were a big thing, right? Yes. I love them. They're amazing. Yeah. I bought one called Tushy. Okay. Yes. Well, if you go to Tushy.com, it ain't for a bidet. It's for something else. I sent that in the family group text. And immediately my brothers and sisters were like, don't open the thing. Don't open the link. I was like, oh, shoot. Shoot. You know, we've had, I think the, the thing that threw me the most since my kid calling me because he had gone on a Tinder date. He had started seeing somebody and they were in an open relationship with very specific kinks. And he was like, this is what happened. And I don't know what to do. And I'm like, one, I really don't want to know about that. But we don't kink shame people unless kink shaming <laughs> is your kink shame. Like, Love you. Was any was everybody honest about the situation? Because that's monogamy is not the only way to go. Ethical non-monogamy, cool, cool. Just be open and honest. If it's not something you can do, it's not something you can do. And if everyone was honest with you, then you're gold. Not a big deal. Yeah, like, absolutely. There's so but, many yeah. options, and people. So I have a question for you. How did you go uh, about educating yourself on options that were available to you as you work through post infidelity? What are we going to do next? Like, how did you educate yourself? It sounds like the message board opinions of others. It was really, it's really tricky. So I grew up super religious. Like I grew up Mormon. There's no, that's not options. No wiggle room. No, there's no wiggle room. My bishop asked me to detail our sexual activities the year prior so he could make sure it wasn't my fault. And my family, this, my family is strange, but infidelity is not something that's ever been an issue in my family. It's just been me that's dealt with it. And so I had no support. And now, how do I phrase this nicely? So (laughs) he had his affair. We already had a year old daughter. So he had his affair and he came back six months early because his dog had gotten sick, which is funny because he also convinced himself that God got his dog sick to force him to come home to stop the affair. So we got married. He had her picture in his wallet on our wedding night, but he had lied to me about what was going on, the depth of it, et cetera. 
we have now relocated across the country. I have no job. I have no family. I don't know anybody there. We're at his new base station when everything hits the fan because her husband has looked me up through um, Army AKO, Army Knowledge Online, which was the big website back then that kept track of everybody. And he has informed me of what has happened. And so we had, I had his trauma. I had my trauma. There's nobody I can talk to because I have nobody near me. My family won't deal with this. He is so super insistent that nobody in his family ever find out. Our pastor is his uncle, not allowed to talk to him. It's just, it was a big thing. And in the military, especially, you run the risk of if it comes out, his career could be over. That's how serious it gets. My ex, his career is done. So in addition to dealing with the trauma of our relationship ending, he's lost his career. He's lost his whole life plan off of a, a minor decision. And I don't agree with that. I don't think that's something that should impact your career, but that puts you in this really isolating spot. So that's all I had because I had nowhere to go, nobody to talk to. All I knew was every every book you read, every movie you watch, every song that they write. You've got Whitney Houston singing, it's not right, but it's okay, right? This is These are the cultural messages that are out there that I had to leave. I couldn't stay. He's screwed up. He's going to do it again, which I also don't believe. But that was the only place and the only resource for people who were trying to make it work. And it was eye-opening for me to see not just the people in the marriage, but also the affair partners. There was a whole section on that message board for affair partners. The only rule they had was you have to be honest. Don't come spew bullshit. Be honest about what happened. Be honest about how you're dealing with it, et cetera. But at the same time, it's for it was for affair partners who were regretful, right? There's it's not for affair partners who are still in their relationship or making their relationship work or becoming oh, a marriage. So it was only post affair, like you've already decided to end the affair. Yeah. So uh, but the this affair is what I were... struggle with because I welcome people into my community who are currently in the affair because mm-hmm. it, I don't think that I have the vantage point to tell anybody when their relationship should end and and in some of those cases it doesn't need to end that's the thing it's not for anybody but those people but there's no resources for them uh -uh. ever anywhere and it's not until now katie we're building it we're We're building building it it. yeah we're building it there's no empathy and it's hard it is hard it is hard I said, and I hope all of your watchers who are still actively in an affair or even just getting out or deciding what they want to do, don't take a lesson from what I went through, right? Just because this is what society says and this is what you're supposed to do, you're supposed to feel, it does not invalidate anything that you're feeling. It doesn't make it any less real. It doesn't make you any less of a person. I stayed in my marriage, right? I, I backed tradition. I stayed in my marriage. It didn't work out in the end, but that's okay. I have five wonderful kids. I mean, it worked out for how long? How long was the marriage? 14 years. Yeah, I have a really hard time when people are like, oh, it wasn't successful. I'm like, it's complete, dude. I think with us, and I will be the first person to say it, it was because after so long without honesty, honesty finally became a part of it because we weren't able to talk about things like, he told me once that God forgave him, so I had to forgive him too. It was really, oh it, was a, it was a trip. But because of 
because there was no honesty, there was no communication. I compartmentalized everything. I buried it. And then our marriage changed. He broke his neck in the army. He almost died. And he had to have his head bolted to his spine. And the whole dynamic changed. And mm-hmm. it was a life-altering change for him. The problem was, and it was like the same thing with my partner. The problem was at that point, he wanted to talk about all of these things that we had hidden for so long. All of these things that we never discussed, that we never brought up. When he started unpacking those, it was like a bomb had gone off. Like all these things I had never dealt with, a bomb just absolutely went off and I couldn't do it anymore. And it was traumatic for him because for him, he was like, well, we got over. This has been, a, this hasn't been an issue for 14 years. No, it, it's just unresolved. It was still there, just unresolved. And I think that's why I'm such a stickler about being honest about everything from the get, because I know what happens. You pack things down with enough force and enough pressure one day, it just, and they'll take everything with it. Yes. And it's funny, you say that it was unresolved. It wasn't just unresolved, but it was hidden from you. Mm -hmm. Well, by the end of it, I didn't care what his reasonings were. Like yeah. it, it wasn't, I mean, it sounds really trite, but it, it doesn't matter what drove him to it because those weren't things that bothered him anymore. It was what lingered was the memory of the trauma of needing support and needing answers and needing my partner to be with me at my side while I worked through those things and not being allowed to. And I think it's like my best friend going through his divorce. It's the same thing. Like it's years of asking to have needs met because those were my needs and they weren't met. And that's how that happens. If your needs go unmet for so long and you lie to yourself about them and you push them down and act like they don't exist, they do. They'll make themselves known at some point. Yeah. It's okay. A circumstance will show up and be like, here you go. Yes. Let me show you what you're missing. Surprise. You thought I was gone. No. Hello. Yes, exactly. Surprised you thought it was gone. Nope. Nope. Still there. As you watch your male best friend go through the complexity of divorce, I'm struck by how long people stay inside of a marriage and, and continue requesting that their needs be met. What do you think is the optimal amount of time that you give somebody to actually respond to requests that you are making? I think it depends. In his case, I don't think it should have ever gotten to that point. He married her after they had been together for 15-ish years, hoping that would be, like, if I give this to her that she wants, then now she'll, no, that's not what happened. I think people get married for the wrong reasons. And I think people who are wholly incompatible get married a lot of the time, and they won't just admit that they are not compatible. If you are a person who knows I need touch, I need communication, I need to be heard, and your partner does not do any of those things, and you have addressed it, and it hasn't changed, and you've said, hey, this is an actual serious, this is not me like, like, can you hold my hand a little bit? No, this is a serious need, and they still won't do it. That's it. That's it. Yeah. There's no reason to keep fighting. If you give somebody two chances. And that's, that's as far as I will go at this stage in my life. Cause I don't care. Like <laughs> I am not afraid to pack up everything and go like I got me in mind. We're good. If you, if I tell you what I need and you don't listen the first time I'm going to say, maybe you didn't take it seriously. But if I tell you I'm serious, this is what I need and you still won't do it. 
we are not going to bring each other anything but misery. And I am not willing to compromise who I am as a person in order to settle and go from there. And too many people do that. They just, they settle with this possibility that maybe things will get better. And I, I had seen something the other day and I called him on the phone and I read it out loud. So I was like, you need to hear this because he's been grieving. And it's weird because he feels like he's not allowed to grieve, right? Because it's turned mm-hmm. into this like huge thing because everybody's thinking it's, I get so mad watching how people treat him because he's the man who's asking me. Because that's the other thing. Men are apparently not allowed to ask unless there's sex involved. Either she's sleeping with somebody else or he's sleeping with somebody else. Those are the only acceptable reasons for a man to leave, but a woman can leave for whatever. But I called him and I read it to him and it's, you need to let go of the idea that it could have been any different because that's the thing that screws with people the most. It's what screws with you when you're the affair partner. It's what screws with you when you're the betrayed spouse. It's what screws with you in every aspect of your life is you just continuously mourn this possibility of what could have been. And I think that that's actually the delusion. Mm-hmm. People say that people in affairs are delusional. I'm like, okay, sure. Call me delusional, whatever you, however you want to label me, you can. But the delusion is actually holding on to an idea of what something is supposed to be rather than letting it go and appreciating it for what it is and changing your course of direction accordingly. Yep. If it was supposed to be that way, it would have been. But mm-hmm. it's not. So clearly yeah. it wasn't going to be. Kevin just- once told me something that really freaking struck me. He goes, everything in the past was meant to be. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, man, that's a hard one. That's a the, hard uh, one. The bestie calls it the gentle nudge of the universe. Sometimes you see it in time and sometimes you don't. But yeah, I am so grateful for the things that happened to me. Betrayal is painful, but it kind of like cutting out the worst aspects of myself. It forced me to be honest with myself about who I am, about what I wanted, about what I was willing to accept for myself, about what I was willing to model for my children. And I would not go back in time and take that pain away from myself if given the opportunity. I would mm-hmm. make different decisions if given the opportunity because I like who I am and I like where I am and I'm happy with that. It built you. And it's, yes, I am who I am because of the trauma that shaped me. I am incredibly hilarious and mm-hmm. very emotionally honest. And that's all stuff that my trauma supplied me. <laughs> yeah, I think what he said your trauma is actually what will make one of the most interesting things people will find about you, how you respond to it. And I think I, that couldn't be closer to the truth for me. Like I, I have endured quite a bit and now I'm like stepping out and really putting myself out there. Cause I'm like, okay, like this is all the shit that's happened so far. And I don't regret it. I actually don't regret what has happened. I do not look back at my past and wish it were different. I think that everything that I went through has really built me into the person that I am today. And I really like her. And like, why don't you? And that's, that's the crazy thing is, yes, you have been through so much. And you attract so much vitriol, I think, sometimes because you refuse to accept the shame that society wants to put on you. And instead, you go the complete opposite direction and you allow that to fuel an empathy that's created this community that begets more empathy. And that's empathy does not only belong to the betrayed. 
there is nobody in an affair situation that comes out unscathed and empathy is deserved by all. Oh man, you're good. You're good. <laughs> Katie. I know, fun for a chick who just paints Warhammer figurines on her TikTok. Is that what you do, Warhammer figurines? Yeah, they're just little, they're little figurines about this big that I just paint for self-therapy. I had suggested the other day to one of the girls in the community, I was like, you need to go get a puzzle. And they were like, fuck that. And I was like, dude, find some medial task that allows you to just be inside of your mind for a little mm-hmm. bit. You will start to gain clarity and you will also start to see that it's not as bad as you think it is. The it's reason really why bad. you think that the affair is so bad is because everybody else told you it was bad. But truly, right. it's a poorly timed relationship. And if the purpose of a relationship is to discover more about yourself, okay, discover it and let's move forward onto a different path, one with authenticity baked in. And that kills me. Which is the more toxic relationship? The one where you have a spouse who ignores you consistently all of the time and berates you or doesn't support you or the one where it just happens to be outside of the marital bond yeah totally and i loved like one of the things that you said so many of the people that are drawn to my content are so label averse they don't want the negative labels assigned to them right and i'm like i'm not gonna assign any labels to you because it literally serves no purpose you actually need to tell me who you are so that i can help understand what it is you're grappling with And you even being like, okay, yeah, I know my toxic behaviors back off with their mind to manage. Like, I absolutely love that about you. Well, you know, that's that's the army background. The green cancels the red flags. It's color theory. (laughs) Oh, my God. Stan's going to love this episode. He's going to be like, there's so much (laughs) military in it. And I just had a call with the military wife. Oh, it's because it's a culture where it's so incredibly prevalent. There's it's a culture within a culture. And I think when you have some place where it creates such an impact and it's such a huge spoken and unspoken part of the day to day life of everybody who lives in that community. It's ripe for discussion. It really is. Oh, definitely. Especially because I feel like a lot of the conversation around infidelity is pretty toxic and i'm not Mm -hmm. about to say that my content isn't toxic there are definitely posts that i make that are intentionally toxic to see who i can draw in and i think you get that i think a lot of people don't it's fine i'm not here to make them understand business but yeah i uh i think that when we realize our own toxic behaviors that's how we can contribute a peaceful existence to the world And I just love that you came on here with such brutal honesty and courage to disclose some of, I'm sure, the most intimate parts of your life for other people's benefit, truly. I think a lot of the the listeners who listen to my content are struggling with the idea that letting go of their marriage means letting go of themselves. And I'm just like here to say no, 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 no. No, no, no. So let me tell you some of the things that occurred to me when I decided that I wasn't going to let my marriage define me. Oh, tell me. My identity had been wrapped around my spouse, about around being his spouse. Like I even let go of the fact that I had been a service member. Like it was just, and it was all about him and taking care of him. And then one day I wasn't doing that anymore. I wanted something for me. I went on to be a national level bodybuilding champion. 
I went back to school. I wrote and released several USA Today bestselling young adult novels. All of these things that I never would have done if everything about me had been tied up in him. And it was really interesting because when things shifted and it became, I became my own person and more confident in my own skin and what I was capable of, it really cast an illuminating light on my marriage and what he was willing to deal with and what he was willing, whether or not he was willing to be the person in the spotlight. And I've been in a relationship since then. There was one guy I dated who's always like, I love these things about you. Can you make sure like none of my friends ever find out? No, because we can't be together because I intimidate too, but that's what it is. But it's made me really self-confident. I like I joke about girl bossing too close to the sun, but it's it became this thing where life is short. I'm going to do anything I want to do and I'm going to do everything I, I want to do. And if I fail, it's okay. I'll fail for it. I'll go do something else. It completely eliminates fear. When Kevin and I had our conversation, I had just picked up with no notice after completing a 500 mile across the state bike ride and moved across the state in the other direction to take a job in a city where I didn't know anybody. And I'm doing so much better. Just why not? Why not? I have no fear left. Why not? And if I had not experienced those things and let go of that and learn to trust myself, embrace myself, love myself, I'd still be sitting in my well, so Katie, Tennessee I got to ask, I got to ask this question because this is a loaded one and I cannot wait to hear your response. What purpose does fear serve? Oh, it's supposed to. It's supposed to keep you from harm. You get into a situation and it's supposed to prevent you from going into that situation again. But what it does is it becomes caged. Two years ago, I was riding my bike. I just learned how to ride my bike. I'm lived in California and Texas, all over the world. I haven't lived in a lot of bike-friendly places. I live in Iowa now, and that's all people do here. You ride a bike. I was out riding my bike, and I got hit by a car. Broad daylight. Um, full visibility. I was so mad. I limped home. I didn't realize, like, my leg was broken <laughs> until the next day. But after that, I found myself, like, completely trapped in this fear that I was going to get hit by a car again. And so I stopped riding my bike on the roads. And eventually, I got tired of being limited to bike paths to like big group rides where I was insulated and I missed the freedom of just getting on a country road and just going because I don't care. There are going to be people watching this who are like, bikers don't need it. No, shut up. I'm allowed on the road. I pay taxes too. Stan, I hope so, you listen today. You better listen, Stan. <laughs> so I realized that fear of that trauma that I'd experienced while beneficial in a way to make me more aware like there could always be somebody coming behind me, whether they see me or not. And the person was on their phone texting. It was a hit and run. It's terrible. But it prevented me from continuing to do something I loved. Mm. And so I started doing it again. When I started bodybuilding, this is, yeah, this is going to be really dark. I started bodybuilding because I used to go to the gym and I was sexually assaulted in the gym. And then I was terrified to go back in the gym. And then I got mad about it. I was like, fuck this. I'm taking this back. This was mine. And it was hard. It was hard at first. Like, I had to have a ball cap. I had to have earbuds in. I had to be very careful not to be hyper-focusing on everybody around me. But I took it back. And that's, I took back the road. I took back my life. Fear is meant to teach you to be cautious, but it is not meant to be a cage. 
it's stop letting it be a cage. It can either trap you or propel you forward. Exactly. Exactly. And so I started going to the gym and I started lifting weights. And then I started paying people to judge me professionally on stage. I love it. You never know. You never know. There is somebody in the community that is going to love listening to this episode, especially you mentioning that you were a career bodybuilder. So I did really good. Actually, that's how I found I found a couple passions that way. And it and that's all it is. It's just find things that make you happy and chase them. If it's something that scared you before, see how far you can take it beyond that. And those things aren't dependent on other people. I just want to clarify that really quick because since this podcast is about infidelity, people will sometimes take that and be like, well, I want this relationship with him. I'm going to chase it. And I'm like, no, relationships don't work with force. They don't. They do not work with force. No, that's I think it's beyond that. It's finding who you are and being happy outside of a relationship and independent of other people will allow you to be able to view relationships more clearly. If I were not so content with who I am as a human being, as a boss, as a friend, as a mother, when my ex-partner had his affair, I could have easily stayed there because I didn't have enough love for myself to fight for myself. I didn't have enough love for myself to fight for myself. You are the only person who can fight for yourself. Exactly. And I, I had told him that when we ended. I it's like I gave you every opportunity to choose me. One of us has to choose me. and You didn't want to do it, so I'm going to. And that's what I did. And I wake up every day and I choose myself. <laughs> oh, my gosh. I absolutely love you, Katie. I can't thank you enough for stumbling upon my TikToks and commenting the way that you do. You have such a reasonable voice in the conversation. And I know that there will be hundreds and hundreds, if not thousands, maybe millions of people who will benefit largely from this conversation because we're sharing it globally. And I think that you are an inspiration to many women that you don't even know. I just want to thank you so much for loving yourself well. And being able to be the person who protects you best. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen to this podcast episode. We appreciate your support and would love to hear your thoughts on it. If you've made it this far, you're likely someone who is invested in the journey of being the other woman. We understand that this can be a difficult and complex experience, which is why we offer guided coaching to help you heal and move forward. We encourage you to explore the links in the episode description or visit theotherwomanandawife.com slash coaching to learn more about our exclusive coaching program and apply today. Thank you again for your support and we look forward to seeing you in the next episode.